0: My guest today is Greg Gow. Greg leads the Melbourne-based Foundation House Education and Early Years Program, which is a Victorian statewide service supporting schools and early years service providers to respond to children and families with refugee experiences. Foundation House is also known as the Victorian Foundation for Survivors of Torture and is one of the sister agencies of STATS. Together with similar agencies in each state and territory across Australia, our organisations are member agencies of FAST, the Forum of Australian Services for Survivors of Torture and Trauma. Greg has a long-standing interest in supporting the education and resettlement of young people from refugee backgrounds. His PhD explored the experiences of refugees from the Horn of Africa region, settling in the suburbs of Melbourne. During 2020, Greg and his team launched Foundation House's innovative Schools In for Refugees website. And since August 2021, Greg has been coordinating Foundation House's response to supporting school-age resettled Afghans in Victoria in the wake of the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan and the humanitarian crisis that has followed. Good morning, Greg, and welcome to the Hints for Healing podcast.
1: Yeah, good morning, Nicole. It's terrific to be with you.
0: Oh, so glad to have you on the show. Well, we've invited you on mainly to hear about how your education and early years program has been supporting Afghan evacuees. Um, but before we get to that, could you tell us a bit about how Foundation House more broadly has responded to people in need of support um, due to the most recent crisis in Afghanistan?
1: Well, as your listeners would know, really, it was August last year, 2021, when things really came to a head in Afghanistan and um, with the Taliban taking control of the country. So as a result of that uh, Foundation House, we started receiving literally hundreds of calls from schools across Victoria and staff about what can we do, what can we do to support our students? Because so many families and students were calling schools, asking for schools to provide them with some sort of support. And also in terms of schools supporting families that were desperate to get relatives out of Afghanistan. And there was so much uncertainty, it all happened so quickly. And so as a result of that in late August, uh, mid August, I think it was, 2021, uh, we decided to organize a an online event. Uh, really, it was a briefing. We called it a briefing because we needed to get something together quickly that we could get out across the education sector statewide, now in Victoria, and so we we quickly sent it out across our statewide networks, a briefing, and at that briefing we we had one of our bicultural workers, Af- an Afghan, speak, Afghan background bicultural worker who was able to, who was working in schools with us, who was able to provide to school staff some insight into where families in the community would be at at this point in time, and also we had one of our um, program leaders in our direct services, a counsellor advocate, who was able to particularly speak to uh, what likely in terms of when to make referrals and how to respond to students and families who are highly distressed. And, and so what we did was we gave them some strategies. We also developed a resource, a PDF resource, and um, I'll provide you with the link later and you'll be able to share that with the listeners Uh, That resource really gave practical strategies about what to do. And we also gave advice to schools, particularly about um, how they could actually communicate their solidarity with their Afghan background families at that time. And so at Foundation House, I guess we had a sort of three-pronged approach, as it were. We had our our bicultural workers, uh, Afghan background bicultural workers, really had to step up and were doing a lot of work. We also had our direct services counsellor advocates that were already working with schools, working directly with schools, and we had our school support program which was actually providing practical strategies and supports for school staff because it wasn't just the the Afghan background students themselves and their families that were highly distressed. Many school staff were as well. And really I suppose it was a combination of, of you know, the, the mass media coverage of what was happening. And some of those images that were, that, that people saw and witnessed on screen at that time were very distressing. And families that were highly distressed, contacting the school, asking for letters of support, et cetera, whole, schools really. And and remembering too, at the time that we also were in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> uh, you know, which, so, you know, that people were already exhausted um you know it was almost sort of two two prongs you know there was the crisis in afghanistan and the covid crisis and in victoria at the time we're in we were just heading in and out of lockdowns so students were doing remote learning so really uh we needed to get something happening quickly and was actually quite astounding we had over a thousand people register for the briefing uh within 24 hours and um, to the point where we didn't have the capacity on, on on our Zoom license to cope with that larger an audience. So so what we did was we recorded the briefing and uh, we made the resource available as a PDF downloadable on the Schools In for Refugees website. And, um, yeah, it was looking back now, you know, it's like a lot of things when crises happen, you hope that you're prepared But really it happened so quickly and we just needed to get organised and we were quite astounded at the widespread reception and and, um, across schools right across Victoria. And we actually had quite a number of schools in um, New South Wales that also had staff that registered for the briefing, um, particularly in the metropolitan Sydney area, southwest Sydney. Um, so, yeah, we were we were quite astounded. It wasn't just Victoria. It was also New South Wales and some other states as well. So that was back in August.
0: Yeah, it was a remarkably swift response from Foundation House and very multifaceted, as you say. It was really remarkable. So that briefing, was that mainly attended by educators um, or was it broader in its attendance?
1: So really I would say that the vast majority were um uh, were teachers overall, but we had a, quite a number of well-being staff and also mental health practitioners in schools and school leaders. So it was quite a broad audience at the time. And we did subsequently do another briefing, which was particularly for school leaders, um, and that followed I think about four weeks after that. And that was where we particularly wanted to get the message out to school leaders about what they can be doing and also about self-care for their staff and thinking about staff well-being the crisis in Afghanistan, um, staff well-being was really important and it wasn't just about you know prioritizing well-being of students and their families. it was also about prioritizing well-being of staff. And in particular, the um, bicultural staff of Afghan background. Uh, one of the things that we did on the 31st of August, we held a um, forum for Afghan bicultural workers, or in Victoria, we call them multicultural education aides. And they're um, staff that work in schools that provide support to, in a classroom to teachers, but they also play a bridging role with families and communities between the school and the community and the families. And those staff themselves really were, were in a situation where, on the one hand, they were working for the school and liaising with families Afghan background families but they themselves were of Afghan backgrounds.
0: So Greg I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about how um, your program supported multicultural education aids um, in Victorian public schools?
1: Yes the multicultural education aids or MEAs as they're commonly called in Victoria um, really played a critical role during the crisis in 2021 in terms of Acting as a bridge between the schools, the families and the communities, and also supporting teachers in the classroom. Now at the time it was remote learning, so that sort of made it all the more complicated. So the MEAs were really prioritizing liaising with families. So so at Foundation House, we already have had a program in place called the MEA Support Program. And we extended that to try and set up a network for Afghan MEAs. And what happened was there, in particular, there was one Afghan MEA who approached us who, who'd been an MEA for a number of years and and said, look, we need to be doing something to bring together the Afghan background MEAs from across Victoria at this time and bring them together to share what they're doing and how they're responding to the crisis. Also to bring them together to connect with each other, to be able to uh Encourage one another and, and uh, just can build connections across the schools. And so we set about contacting the MEAs. We we got a number of MEAs together who were able to share what they were doing, and we identified three or four, and we gave them an opportunity to to provide some examples of good practice of what they were doing in their schools at the time to respond. And then we got uh, we ended up with sixty five Afghan background MEAs. Um, which really surprised us. We weren't aware that there were that many Afghan background MEAs in Victoria, and um, the vast majority of them were in the southeast metropolitan area, which is a real settlement hub. Um, so those MEAs met on the 31st of August, and we spent an hour and a half with them, and it was online. And uh, we had them out into breakout rooms to share what are some of the challenges, what are some of the strategies. And as a result of that, we actually developed a a small resource that we circulated to them that documented their strategies and practices and what they would be looking to do during Term 4 2021. And then we met with them again in October last year, 2021, and that was a follow-up meeting as well where we wanted to hear about particularly what, what they had been doing, what was working. And now we've set up that as, as a MEA network for Afghan background MEAs, a statewide network, which will meet once a term. So as we move into 2022 now, there'll be a meeting in term one, term two, three and four. Um, and, you know, the challenge for MEAs, and this would prob- some of the listeners would know this already, is that often bicultural workers in schools are employed because of their cultural expertise But often they don't have many opportunities for professional development and, you know, in terms of the kind of supports around them as well, they may be on fixed-term contracts. So so often really they they don't have a lot of support when when they're dealing with challenging issues that can be quite traumatic for themselves because many of them do have refugee backgrounds. So a big part of the work with the Afghan background MEAs has been about introducing them to some resources that can help them to actually be be thinking through strategically how they can look after themselves and respond in a way that uh, has that boundary, I suppose, between professional detachment and belonging in the community. And that's really a difficult space to occupy um, for those workers. Um, but one of the big things that came out of the crisis in Afghanistan and the impact that it had on schools in Victoria was a real awareness of the critical role that the MEAs play. And in fact, the schools that were really able to respond effectively already had in place uh, good good MEAs that had been there for a while, they're experienced and they were supported. And right away, they already had that bridge to the community. So that's the work we've been doing with the MEAs, Nicole, and uh, that'll continue into 2022.
0: I'm thrilled to hear that that's continuing. And will that, that network, will that just be the, the MEAs with Afghan heritage or is it broader than that?
1: Most of the MEA networks are actually geographically based around a particular region. And so we bring together MEAs uh, from various language backgrounds or cultural backgrounds. But in this instance, we actually thought it, it was important to have an Afghan-specific uh, network. We also established another forum for... Um, Burma background uh, MEAs as well, because it's interesting, you know, thinking about 2021, the Afghan crisis really had a lot of um, media coverage and awareness, but the ongoing crisis in Burma or Myanmar, um, really, we had to respond to that as well. So we actually set about um, gathering together uh, MEAs um, from Burma, Burma background MEAs, and we did a similar uh, activity with them and that's going to be ongoing as well. So I think it's really about, you know, and this is one of the things, that there's going to be crises that, that unfold in home countries. Um, and, you know, we know at the moment Ethiopia is experiencing a huge crisis. Um, so there'll be times when we do need to bring together specific groups, you know, whether it's cultural or language groups, with MEAs. But I think really what our model that we like to have is, is place-based where we'd actually set up an MEA network in a place, in a region, and bring together MEAs from different backgrounds. But in this instance, it was really important to um, target and support the Afghan background MEAs.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a really responsive way to do it through the MEAs. And look, you mentioned um, some one of the reasons for the network was opportunities for sharing good practice um, amongst the schools. I was wondering if you could share any of that um, good practice that, was happening amongst the MEAs in their schools?
1: I mean, one MEA shared about um, a school had had started developing uh, online lunches, at, you know, a cyber lunch or a cyber morning tea for um, Afghan background families and in particular mothers. And, and that was the way that they were able to connect with them because people were, were in remote learning. They weren't able to come on site at school. At the time when the crisis occurred, um, students. It was only particularly vulnerable students that were able to come on site and we were advocating that some of the Afghan background students be able to come on site, but parent carers couldn't come on site. So schools had that challenge of trying to reach out to them um, when, they, when they couldn't come on site. So there's one school particularly that did a, a series of video recordings and uh, they used you know Zoom and recorded it And put it up on the school website, and then were able through their MEAs, they were able to actually share the spread the word that these resources were available on the school website. And that's an example of really using an online presence and video, particularly. Um, I think also another good practice that we saw across schools, and a number of schools did this, was to circulate a letter of, of solidarity to schools. And a number of schools had them in Dari and some in other languages as well, but they actually communicated their solidarity. And this was really critical at that time for schools to actually let the community know that they're aware of what they're going through and letting them know in their own in their own languages, in, in, in translations. So, so they're just some examples of, of some good practices. And I think other good practices really were... Um, actually being organised around regularly contacting families. And the significance of a teacher reaching out to a family, and many of your listeners will know this, when it's not just bad news, it's actually reaching out and checking in, how are you? Um, the scheduled times each week where they would have a scheduled time where they check in with a family, and particularly in a primary school, which is a much smaller, typically a much smaller school than a large secondary college, A number of primary schools did this and it was quite effective in terms of the responses that they're able to get from families and maintaining those connections. So, I mean, the schools that that, um, really were able to have those strong connections with families and, and a lot of them used innovative ways of doing that, whether it was video, online presence, letters of support and telephone calls. Now, typically we found with telephone calls as well that it was better if the school actually... Let them know through a text message in advance that we're going to be calling you at this time, and it's not bad news. <laughs> we just want to see how you are, and that then when the parent carers receive the call, they know they know what it's about. They're not fearful that that their children are in trouble or anything like that. So we found that that was a really good strategy, and um, so they were sort of proactively checking in with with families.
0: Yeah. There's some great examples. I was wondering what you heard about how schools um, mitigated the risks of vicarious trauma for teachers and especially um, Afghan staff members making those phone calls.
1: What we encouraged schools to do was to nominate uh, somebody who was part of school leadership to proactively check in with staff members and also creating a buddy system amongst school staff um, for check-ins and debriefing. So what that means is you'd have school staff that, that were able to, to actually almost like have that buddy system where they would connect in with an, with an Afghan background school school staff member, for instance, check in, how are you going, doing some debriefing, and in that way putting in place that, those sort of support structures um, because if you're going to get, as you've mentioned, staff to ring, in, ring up families, um, MEAs by cultural workers to ring up families, or even teachers to ring families with the bicultural worker next to them, then you need to actually provide support for that person making that call in terms of checking in with them, debriefing. And so we encourage schools to do that. And um, that was really one of the main ways that we did that. We also used a resource called the Over-Involvement, Under-Involvement Continuum which is really a resource about the ideal zone in terms of a good balance between um, professional detachment and empathy and and connection and how staff can actually stay in that. And we worked with some schools around practices that they can do to stay in that ideal range. And because often we see with this over-involvement, under-involvement continuum is that staff can tend to gravitate towards over-involvement over-identification, taking on responsibility for the families, for the communities, and what often happens so that that leads to exhaustion and then that can lead to under-involvement, which is a natural response in terms of setting up boundaries, you know, I can't cope with this anymore and becoming under-involved. So the, the goal is really to, to support your staff so that they can actually stay engaged with families but they can also have some forms of, of professional detachment So we did quite a lot of work with schools around that as well.
0: Oh, that sounds great. Uh, Greg, maybe we can have that in the show notes as well.
1: Yes, yeah, it's a resource on schools in for refugees website. We have that downloadable. We can put the link in. Yeah,
0: we'll do. Um, Before we launch more into um, the the programs that that you ran um, late last year in response to the Afghan crisis, the online response. um, I'm aware that um, you use the trauma recovery framework as as a guiding framework for a lot of your work. So, and I can put um, a link in the show notes to the framework for listeners who're interested in finding out more. But um, um, most basically the framework is guided by these four recovery goals as you know so I was wondering if you could tell me about you know what these goals are and how you applied these recovery goals to your response to the Afghan crisis and going forward.
1: The trauma recovery framework guides all of our work at Foundation House and as you mentioned there are four, four recovery goals and First of all, we, we actually invite schools to consider themselves as trauma recovery environments, as providing a trauma recovery environment for their students and their families. And so, so central to this is thinking about that trauma recovery really, you know, let's put it simply, it's about the ability to live in the present without being overwhelmed by traumatic events of the past, you know, the negative thoughts, feelings and consequences that are associated with traumatic refugee events. So, recovery does look different for each individual, and it will be and look different for everyone. So, the the Foundation House Trauma Recovery Framework really has four goals, four interrelated goals that aim to counter the impact of traumatic refugee events and to support recovery. Now, now, so in a, in in a way, it's good to think of these goals as really essentially about being a way to counter the impact of pre-arrival persecution and human rights violations. And when we work with schools, uh, we use these four goals. And and, I mean, the first one really is, is the most basic starting point, and that is a sense of safety and control. And that for your refugee background students, their sense of safety and control has been undermined by the effects of anxiety and fear as a result of prolonged refugee experiences. So, highly anxious and fearful. So creating a sense of safety and control. And then the second one, which interrelates to that really is about attachment and connection to others. And so these have these have been lost as a result of prolonged isolation and separation from loved ones during a refugee experience. So schools promoting attachment and connections. And then third, meaning identity and justice. Now, now these are, particularly relevant for, for your adolescent or teenage secondary co- college students. And as you know, many, many young people uh, basically make meaning. Adolescence is all about meaning making. And so for refugee background students, it's all the more challenging. For instance, an inability to trust adults, a lack of hope for the future, a sense of my place in the world, So restoring meaning, identity, and justice is our third goal. And then finally, the fourth goal is dignity and value. And this is really to support, uh, enable people to to overcome a a sense of guilt and shame that they often have about the choices that they've been able to make in the past or unable to make. And dignity and value is is essential. So with these four recovery goals, in a school what we do is we use an audit tool where we get schools to actually identify how they're actually supporting these recovery goals across the whole school. So central to that is the whole school approach. And, and and that's really the key message is that supporting recovery, it starts at the reception and it goes all the way up to the school principal, that every school staff member or member of the school community has a role to play. And so in, in, in applying these recovery goals or operationalizing them across the whole school, I mean, the, the, the number one place to start is in the classroom. So we'd work with teachers around what they can be doing to support sa- students' safety and control in a classroom. So, for instance, things such as, you know, a predictable environment, students knowing what's going to happen, having a sense of control in the sense that they know what, what they're actually doing that the teacher's actually communicating what they'll be doing throughout the day. There's a sense of predictability and and a sense of safety also could be knowing that they can actually have a space where they can have some quiet time, they can retreat to in the class if they're becoming highly anxious. And attachment and connections to others, you know, at its most basic level is a simple buddy system that can be set up to actually support uh, students, particularly as they transition from English language school into mainstream school as well. So these are recovery goals um, at its most basic level. I mean, schools are already doing this. It's not like it's new for schools. So when it comes to supporting the refugee background students, it's not about changing everything they do. It's really about building on what they're currently doing to provide a safe school environment. And so we, we see in our work with schools in Victoria that schools that already have some trauma informed work and approach, have a trauma lens through which they work already. When it comes to their refugee background students, it's really about just extending that and and understanding that your refugee background students do have particular needs. And uh, in many ways, they are quite a distinct cohort of students. And and so what, what that means is understanding how you can tailor a little bit of what you do, differentiate it a bit in terms of the needs of those students around supporting these goals. So that's a bit of a snapshot of the goals. And, um, yeah, we find it really resonates with school staff. And one of the activities we often do with school staff is get them to identify what they're currently doing to support the goals. And then they say, yeah, wow, I'm already doing this. Uh, I'm already explicitly teaching so that students know what's happening in the classroom, for instance. For example, dignity and value, When, when a staff... In the, in the administrative reception of a school when a new family arrives and they walk in, is there anything in their language that they can see? Um, do they feel safe and comfortable? Do they feel dignified in the school physical environment? So often schools that are doing quite well with this have a really good grasp of how to use interpreters, using translations. Um, and coming back to the MEAs and bicultural workers, we see that that really ties in with Um, dignity and value in terms of schools, families arriving at school and actually finding that there's a staff member there who speaks their language and the significance of that.
0: Yeah. And is the way that um, you support schools to apply these recovery goals, is that different in any way to um, supporting the most recent evacuees from Afghanistan compared to more longer standing members of the um, Australian Afghan community who are of course also and continue to be um, really harshly affected by the crisis?
1: Yeah, I think that you know the, the first goal, really about safety and control, really needs to be prioritised with the with the evacuees, <clears throat> because we see that these evacuees, and we saw this as well many years ago. Well, not many, maybe five or six years ago, with the Syrians, uh, the large cohort of Syrian refugees that arrived in Australia, and they had such such a quick turnaround from the time that they'd left Syria and then. Gone to, uh, for instance, Lebanon, and then resettled in 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 Australia. It was quite quick. There wasn't many years between, and so we see that also with the evacuees, is that um, they've arrived in Australia, um, and it's been quite a quick turnaround. So they're highly traumatized, and and hyper vigilant. So so we we really encourage schools to prioritise safety and control, and thinking about how they can actually. Um, Right across the whole school, put in place practices and procedures that enhance a sense of safety and control. And then the second one with that too, I think, is um, attachment and connections to others. And that's really, you know, safety and control does come about through um, safe relationships, uh, feeling safe with a teacher and, um, Feeling that, that this is a safe environment for me to be in, so those two goals really need to be prioritised with the evacuees: um, safety and control, and attachment and connections to others. And when it comes to meaning, identity, and justice, and dignity and value, they're vital as well. However, they're ones that are not necessarily immediate. You know, particularly in meaning and identity and justice, that's something that that, for instance, your secondary age students can work through over a number of years. But safety and control, attachment and connections are vital.
0: Yeah, thanks for clarifying that, Greg. Yeah, those, those two are, are really the foundations, but carry on throughout the whole recovery, don't they?
1: Yes, yes, they do.
0: Um, look, so yeah, with that as a background, could you tell us a bit more about how you were able to support um, particularly school students um, late last year and going into this year um, in the context of the COVID lockdowns as well?
1: Yes, well, particularly with, with the new arrivals, I mean, there's, there's, there's sort of two, two cohorts, as it were. There's the new arrivals that, that were steadily settling into Melbourne at the time, and many of them were going into um, hotel quarantine and then uh, trans, transitioning out of that into um, moving and relocating into parts of Melbourne where there were already community members there. So many of the new arrivals already had strong connections with those that had already resettled in Australia so we're working with the new arrivals, but also working with the students and families that have been in Australia for many years um, but were also uh, impacted by and quite distressed by the crisis. And so what we did was um, we actually, our intake team at Foundation House were receiving literally hundreds and hundreds of calls from um, schools um, wanting to make referrals and... Uh, so, so our counselor advocates, particularly our team of counselor advocates, actually were very, very busy um, following up on those, those intake calls and following up. Now, really, it was beyond our capacity at the time. And so um, Foundation House were fortunate enough to receive some funding to, um, to, to do a project over 18 months called the Afghan Community Response and um, Afghanistan Community Response Project and that project now has been underway since August last year. And so we, we've moved out of the immediate crisis. Now, in the immediate crisis, it was really about risk assessment and being able to make assessments for all of the referrals that we were receiving from schools. Um, so I've told you a little bit about the work we were doing to support school staff, but when it comes to working directly with the children and young people who are themselves arriving Um, they were going to transition into English language school and uh, commence English language school. Now, this was all happening late last year and it was happening very quickly, and uh, many of those now will be commencing English language school in Term 1, 2022. Mm -hmm. But the real challenge was to actually get them enrolled, to communicate with them, to provide them with um, uh, risk assessments, assessments of, of, of where they were at in terms of their recovery and trauma. So, so really, that's an ongoing piece of work, Nicole, and um, it's still unfolding as we still see um, those arriving and moving into English language school. And what we expect is that m- many of them may stay in English language school for up to 12 months, and some may start transitioning into mainstream school in the middle of this year, 2022, but we will see significant numbers transitioning later in the year. And a big piece of work that we're doing particularly is about supporting schools to be ready for that transition um, where they see uh, large numbers of Afghan arrivals transitioning into mainstream schools out of English language school. And some schools have a lot of experience with that and already do terrific transitions and, and know how to support refugee background students during transitions, but others, they're new to it. And particularly what we're seeing, and we might this trend might be happening in New South Wales as well, where we're actually seeing uh, families moving further and further out of the metropolitan area into new housing areas, and often those schools are very new schools. So we're working closely, particularly with the wellbeing staff in those schools, around the sort of um, activities and supports that they can be putting in place for the students as they transition. So immediately what we were doing was dealing with a crisis, making assessments, and now we're moving into um, supporting schools, particularly through, through group activities and individual supports, particularly through their wellbeing staff and mental health practitioners in schools to support the students once they're in the schools. So it's still unfolding, Nicole.
0: Yeah look it sounds very comprehensive Greg and look just finally I was wondering if you could share any feedback you've received from Afghan students or their, their carers and parents about what they found helpful in their adjustment to life in Australia.
1: Well particularly when it comes to schools what they have found helpful is schools proactively reaching out to them and communicating with them in their own language and I'm probably repeating this over and over but the bicultural workers they've really valued the multicultural education aids availability to support them and to provide them with information and that's really where you know a key message has been that that, that when a child enrolls the family enrolls so the MEAs particularly have been so active reaching out to the families and the feedback that we get through the MEAs is how valued that is, from the families, that there is information available in their own languages, that there's also somebody that they can speak to at the school who understands their background and their culture. So I think that that's really so important at this particular point in time. And also in, in the sense of schools being able to provide opportunities for families to connect with each other. That's another good, good way. You know, we have good feedback about that. The schools that have done well... Families have been able to connect with other families. So building those connections, for example, Afghan background families that have been in Australia for many years and their children are already at school, they have knowledge and and, and expertise that they can pass on to the new arrival families. So schools are facilitating that and families are really valuing it. So that's almost a peer support sort of initiative that schools are doing. And uh, we've heard some terrific feedback about schools that have done that and and how valuable it's been for families.
0: That's great. Greg, look, before we um, wrap up today, is there anything else you wanted to add?
1: I suppose really in terms of a key message is I mentioned earlier about how everyone in the school community has a role to play in supporting refugee background students. And and no matter what your role is in a school, whether you're, you know, education support officer, um, whether you're at reception at admin, whether you're a school leader in a classroom, it's really about everyone contributing something small, not necessarily big things, but consistently and working together. And that it has a huge impact. And I think also just reminding your listeners that the significant role that schools play and um, particularly those who are teachers who may be listening is that there is evidence now that that a a positive healthy relationship with a teacher is is a huge protective factor for a refugee young person so i just want to encourage the teachers there and i would also like to mention that our work is uh supported by the victorian department of education and training and just just acknowledge that as well that we couldn't do what we do without their support so uh thanks nicole
0: Thank you, Greg, and thanks so much for sharing your and your team's impressive contributions at this really difficult time. You've certainly been um, an inspiration to us and our, our work at Starts, and yeah, thanks for sharing with us today. Talking to Greg, I was particularly impressed to hear how multifaceted Foundation House's response is to supporting school communities affected by the Afghan crisis. The support they offered to bicultural workers in schools, the MEAs, was particularly comprehensive. And I thought he shared some great tips on communicating effectively with parents and carers, like his example of the importance of texting a parent before making a phone call to reassure them, and also how he highlighted the impact of schools communicating their solidarity with a community at times of crisis. If you found this podcast helpful to your practice, we'd greatly appreciate you leaving your rating or comments on your podcast listening platform. This helps our work reach more educators, which in turn helps the students and families we all support. Thank you so much for your contributions and take good care of you.